Welcome to Live with Greg or Live with Greg, depending on semantics. <laughs> Ready? Ready. Wait. Let me toss All it. Right. All right. Let's do it. <clears throat> All right. Here with director, writer, producer, friend, Robert Monaghan. Ooh. You said my last name right, too. Most people fuck it up. <laughs> Google says Monaghan. I, I already laughed at that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, know. I know. Which is Jack, is what I say. Google, call Robert. I have to say, call Robert Monaghan. Yeah, yeah, I've heard everything. They mess up my name, but it's that's the way it is. People add letters that are not even there, like Robert Morgan, Robert Mulligan, Robert McGillicuddy. I've heard all of them. So it's like, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I may just go by Robert M. Has anyone it. dared to call you Bob? And if they want to get killed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that just reminded me of the Prince, the Black Album, you know, that they were Bob. Yeah, yeah, no. I, my father went by Bob, but no, I, I go by Robert or Rob, sometimes Robert or Roberto, but no Robbies, no Bobbies, nothing like that. I've known you, Robert. Yeah, that's it. That's Pure, it. Pure, simple, clean. All right. That's it. All right, sir. So, how so we you? both grew up in Hayward. I'm good. Yeah. We both grew up in Hayward. Don't tell anybody, though. <laughs> Word's <laughs> out now. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we Hayward kids, we grew up good. We look good. I think we look freaking good. Knock on wood. Yeah. yeah you know. Yeah. And so um, it could have been worse. We could have been raised in, you know, Fremont. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to have the Fremont people slapping your face. <laughs> well, but, uh, yeah, I grew up in Hayward. Actually, I was born in Oakland. And uh, we lived there until I was five. But my mother taught in the Hayward School District, so she wanted to be closer and not do that commute. So we... Uh, we moved to Hayward, and um, you know, we've been there ever since, and all that. So uh, I don't know. I come back home every now and then. Now that I live in New York, and it's just weird. I I feel disconnected with it now. You know, it's like looking at it through a crystal ball, going, "Oh yeah, I recognize all this stuff, and I guess I used to run around there, but I don't feel like I'm really. This isn't. This ain't home." Right. Anymore. New York's home. New York is home. Was it home the day you got there? Yes. Do you remember that day? Yes. All right, let's hear that. Picture it, Sicily, 1923. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the lights are bright. The lights are bright. I'm a young peasant coming to the. No. Um, yeah, it was cold, January 25th, 1999. Um, came here with one suitcase, $800 cash in my pocket. No job and no place to go, and it's freezing outside. What do I do? So I wander around and I go into a coffee shop, meet up with this guy. We start talking. He has a grandmother who has a room that she'll rent. Don't know this guy. He could be a psycho, but there's something trusting about his face. That could be a Rob Zombie character. Yeah, but no, it. it uh, the grandma. He was sincere. Wow. Because he just spotted me in the coffee place, and he was like, okay, you look like you belong here. <laughs> and need help. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
We went to grandma's house and she hooked me up with a, not a glamorous room, but it had all the things I needed, a bed, a dresser, a closet. Bathroom. And a bathroom. Yes, sir. And she said, is 300 bucks too much? I had only 800, so I gave her 300 and I was in. Wow. Just and what like part that. of New York? It was Central Park North, you wow. know, right on the other. And now I live on Central Park West, which yeah. is odd. You know, it's like, look where I came. I started here, and then I just went around the corner to... to yes. Yeah. Things have happened very quickly, those first weeks. So you said on the way here <clears throat> that the only spiritual life you have comes in a bottle. Yeah. Yes, right. <laughs> but don't you think an event like that... Yes, you're, when you put it that way, yes, because I know that doesn't happen to everybody that comes to New York or moves to any new place for the first time. I knew no one. My parents were placing bets that I'd be running back home in a week or less, and I didn't come back home again until three years later. Wow. After I had premiered my one-man show off-Broadway and was making new friends and a new life for myself. So, yeah, in that sense, it is very spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. Because their spirituality is serendipitous. Yeah, and I do not ever take it for granted. Right. And that's why I always celebrate that anniversary every year on January 25th. What do you do? I just, I acknowledge it. I get a bottle of champagne. I just, I don't want to ever forget that. Because when I moved to L.A. a long time ago, before that, it wasn't the same. Everything went wrong in L.A. when I moved there. I mean, just from the beginning... And I, let, I stayed there for six years, and I was like, I want to get out of here. It wasn't wow. like that wow. when I came here. It, everything fell into place when I came to New York. And um, I just kind of ran. I got off the plane running because it was too cold to stand still, <laughs> so I had to keep moving, literally. So what kind of balls is it to get on a plane to New York with no idea where you're going to stay? Because I was bored and bitter of all things California, which is where I was born and raised. And that's not knocking California in any way. It's just that I was here the whole, my whole freaking life up to that point. And I wanted a dramatic change. Did you go from L.A. to New York? Yes, because L.A. was like the last straw. Right, right. You know, sure, we were born and raised in the Bay Area and it was, you know, whatever. And then when I moved to L.A. and all the stuff that I went down there... It was just like, that's it. I just want to get out of California altogether. I was working at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And one night, this guy from New York came in to check in. And we started just talking about this and that, whatever. And he goes, you know, you strike me as a New Yorker. You should try giving a New York a try. I had never even thought about New York before prior. But it was the way he said it. It was like someone took a book of water and threw it on me, and I woke up for the first time and go, you know what, I'm going to do it. See, to me, again, that's a yeah. spiritual element. You yeah. know, like, why does that resonate with you? Yeah, you're right, because I had never, other than looking at old movies that took place in New York, I never thought about moving here. But then once I got here, it really was like, like the opening credits to that girl. You know, I'm walking around the city... And, or the Mary Tyler Moore show, throwing my hat up in the air. It felt like that. It really did, because I was like, oh, I can be anybody I want to be. Nobody knows me here. I could totally start all over again. And that was like the coolest, coolest feeling. Because I didn't owe anybody anything. I didn't have to prove myself. 
It's like, I, I'm here, I'm an artist, and, you know, I remember the stewardess or the flight attendant, on the, I don't know which, which is the proper way of calling them now, but when I was on the plane coming here, and back then I used to carry my portfolio with me, my art portfolio, no one does that anymore, but... And she came up to me and goes, is everything okay? And I go, yeah. And she goes, so what are your plans in New York? I go, I don't know. I'll know when I get there. I said, what do you do? And I go, well, I'm an artist. She goes, oh, really? And I pulled out my portfolio book and showed her. And she's flipping through it. And she looks at me and she goes, you're going to be okay. She doesn't know me, but she said that. Right. That's and I believed her because right. the way she said it, she said it like she had some secret. She knew something that I didn't know. You know, and so um, I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to be okay. So you're in your mid-twenties? Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, and it's taken about 25 years for you to get to this point you're at now, hmm. where you're pretty damn productive. I mean, you were productive all along, but now you're productive in your creative works, 24-7. Yes. Yeah, because uh, I, I never lost that quick energy and everything happening like the minute I got off the plane sort of that's just I still live by that rule just do it and do it now you know and sometimes I could be kind of you know very aggressive to other people um, particularly my partner but he, he he wants to go along with the ride he just says just go and do your thing are you guys married uh, my beautiful partner and I, we officially became domestic partners on my birthday last January. Well, yeah. so officially, is that like a civil thing? Yeah, we went down to City Hall and they gave us a certificate. So in New York? In New York, yeah. So, domestic partners is yeah. what the reference is. Yeah. I mean, we talked about getting married, married and all that stuff. I don't give a shit about giving right. married, I, uh, unless you're going to give me some damn good gifts. <laughs> Otherwise, well, you I don't can care. Have your registry. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. H and M size small, but um, <laughs> no kitchen appliances. No. I, I, who, who does the cooking? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah. If kitchen appliances, only if you throw in a maid with it, which ain't me. There you go. <laughs> espresso machine. You guys got it. No, we don't drink coffee neither. What? No. 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 Um, but no, yeah, we went down to City Hall. Uh, we had on talked about birthday, this right, right. on my birthday, and yeah. Did it have any meaning for you when it started becoming, I guess, legally okay is the way to say it, for same-sex marriages? I, wow, good question. Yeah, it did have meaning, but I wasn't, like, waving a flag about it, and you know, I, I believe you can love who you want to love and all that, but I'm not going to wear a t-shirt that says that. I'm not that person, but um, when they did say yes, it's fine. I'm like, okay, cool, but it, what's the big deal? You know, as long as you don't kill anybody, you got to be able to, you know what I mean? Just love who you want to love, marry who you want to, but I'm not the preachy political, I'm not going to be doing chants and making big, you know, statements. That's that's not me. I, I You know, that's not me. My hit yeah. is that because you said it was personal to you, and my hit is yeah. <coughs> your personal stuff is personal. That's and right. That's the way you'd like to keep it. That's right. Even though I want to be in, you know, yeah, but that's show. Yeah, that's show business. <laughs> but still, I feel like I can control that. Even though 
Um, some people say, oh, well, you know, you asked to be in that, so you should just take it. It's like, no, you don't need to see me shopping in the grocery store. What, what the hell does that have to do with anything? You don't need to know what my favorite color is and all that. Who cares? Right. You know. Well, it, some people do care. Well, they do. They need to. Yeah, but it's like, you don't need to see, watch me eating a meal in a restaurant, taking pictures, pack for pictures of me eating pasta or something, you know. So you and Thad have been together for... It'll be 17 years this June. That's what I thought. I was thinking around 20 years. Yeah. I wasn't looking for a relationship. I thought I was just going to be a hoe for the rest of my life. We all thought you were going to be a hoe the rest of your life. Yeah, because I came to New York and, you know, I met all these beautiful guys and people were buying me fancy dinners and giving me cab fare home and all this kind of stuff and hooking me up in hotels. And I thought, this is it. This is what I came this here is, for. This is what I came here for. You know, they were, yeah, I had guys that paid my bills, even if I didn't sleep with them. They just liked me, and I went for it. It's like, okay, if you want to pay my rent for the month, and, I, and uh, we're not going to do anything more than shake hands, then fine. I didn't, I didn't give a shit. I really didn't. You know, I just wanted to just keep moving and focusing on my art and everything like that. Right. So I, I don't have time for relationships and all that. I really, that was my attitude. Yep, for giving like a drop in the bucket of what keeps a long relationship like that healthy and vital and alive. Um, give each other our space. That's the big one for me. I'm an only child, so it's all about me, myself, and I anyway. You know, he comes from siblings, you know, and which is fine. But um, I don't need to have people all around me all the time. Sometimes I want to see folks. And then other times, like, you know, get away from me. I don't need to see you for a month. You know, I have what I have. I have what I call silent Sundays where I don't want to talk to anybody. And even though I'm li we're living together, he does it just, you know, unless he's, you know, honey, the, the building's on fire. Just leave me alone and, you know we'll wave at each other and that's it but I just I don't want to, I don't even want to hear my own voice I just I just want to just kind of just relax and not talk and I'll just watch mindless television or do or clean the kitchen cabinets or whatever but I don't want to hear my voice I really don't want to talk to anybody else I won't call anybody unless it's like a family emergency or something and I just call it a side it could be any day but I just pick Sunday a silent Sunday you know, for someone who says their spirituality is only in a bottle you're a very spiritual man I guess I don't know I don't want to say I'm a spiritual person people will roll their eyes and be like oh god he's going to start preaching or <laughs> and all that kind of stuff so is it comfortable to talk about your partner or yeah yeah of the disease that he has Parkinson's disease Parkinson's he's had it for over 20 years right and so I knew what I was getting into from the beginning um I remember when we first met um um back then he had the really strong dyskinesia and he was doing the tumors and stuff and when we first got together uh, he was doing that a lot and I was like I jokingly said do I make you nervous <laughs> you know and he goes no I have Parkinson's disease and that was the end of it I was like I could have picked that moment to turn around and run away but I didn't he was honest he told me I have Parkinson's disease I said, oh, and at the time I'm like oh that's what Michael J. Fox has that's what 
Muhammad Ali has and Linda Ronstadt, whatever. But I didn't know very much about it until I. But I after that, then I got books and looked it up. And so um, it's always a struggle. Uh, but I knew I was in it for the long haul. A few years later, after we had been together, when he got a very new uh, procedure called brain stimulation surgery. Excuse me. And so, where basically it's an eight-hour surgery where he's awake the whole time, and they attach these wires to his brain, all the way in the back of his head, down his neck, into like a battery pack that's embedded in his chest. It doesn't get rid of the symptoms or anything, but it slows him down, and he doesn't do the dyskinesias or anything anymore. Um, his speech is getting a lot softer, but he is going to be taking speech classes. Because he has a strong voice, he just doesn't really use his vocal cords that much. Um, his his legs freeze every now and then, but he does he does do physical therapy two times a week, and um, and that helps. And he takes a walk in the park every day because we live across the street from Central Park, and that helps a lot. Um, yeah. Do you think your relationship with Thaddeus has changed your? notion of love from when you were in your 20s yes and even though I've never really had a lot of patience I find that I have a special kind of patience just for him everybody else will get on my damn nerves but with him I make allowances for it there are sometimes I be like oh my god why can't you just but you know I learned to have a special patience for him and him only because I'm more than just his partner. I'm his bodyguard. I'm his drill sergeant. I'm his lover. I'm all of that. Because when we're out in public, I feel like I'm controlling everything to make sure that people get the fuck out of his way when you see a man walking down the street with a cane. I will never understand why people don't move out the way. That's New York. You know, but I, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've cussed out people on the street. Like, what the fuck? Do you not see this guy with a cane Right here, get your fat ass out the way. He doesn't like it when I He's love. He's a very kind-hearted man. Yeah, he is. But it's just, I just want people, I'm not, it's like, you see someone with a cane, give them some space. Don't crowd up on them or anything like that. It's just, ugh. But New York is crowded. Yeah, I know, but people just, not only do they not know how to spell common sense, they don't know what common sense is. No mo, you know, and it's just agitating. It's just so annoying. But you know, it is what it is. I just I protect him. I'm fiercely protective of him. He's, you know, people. I've joked about it, you know, saying, "Well, I don't need any children because this man is, you know, all I want." You know, and he's not a child, no. But he's a person that before him, I didn't give a damn about anybody else except yours truly. Now it's. I, instead of going, well, I want this. Now it's, well, we. I want, we want this, and that was never like that before with him. It was all about me, 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 me. Now it's us, us, us. <clears throat> Do you think that has helped you become the director, producer, writer, like that you're able to be these days? He's definitely been by my side. I. I think it's he's he's been my my biggest fan. What I mean is film is a very 
communal effort. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could have been a director to a, a productive community in your 20s, 30s? I thought I would be. I did direct stuff back then, but not to this level. So I think having him in my life and moving to New York and all the different things I've been, it just it kind of sort of polished me more. And so um, in my 20s, I was an idiot. So Yeah, because part of what I see mm -hmm. is the people involved with your films mm -hmm. are very much backing them as they go out into the world. They're showing up at, you know, yeah. screenings. They're involved. They're... I think most artists do that. You pick a group of people that are going to stick by you and the ones that are, are not going to do anything, you brush them out eventually. We all do that, but... Yeah. yeah, but if you're an asshole, people don't stick with you. No, yeah, that's true. And I've had actors and models and stuff work with me. Even though I couldn't pay them much, they didn't care. They believed in the project, and that is like the biggest compliment. You can That's the best thing you can ever get. It's when someone believes in your vision anyway... Even though, you know, you can't pay them, you know, monetary, you know, amounts of whatever, but they they want to be there because they think it's cool. They think you're cool. And I've had people tell me that. I go, well, I know you're not can't pay me that much, but I think you're really cool, and I believe in your vision, and I want to be a part of it. I mean, <laughs> that's the coolest thing I've heard from folks. And my cast from my three films, my current three films. They all feel that way. You know, I didn't pay them a whole bunch of money. You know, I paid them something because, you know, I believe the bird artists, we got to get paid something for our time and our talent, you know. But they all wanted to be there. And they're all fiercely proud of where my films are going, where our films are going. And, um, and that's just it's, just, it's just a groovy thing. It's a really, really groovy thing. So you like filmmaking? I do. I really do. There was a time when I lived in L.A. I wanted to be an actor like everybody else in Los Angeles. But then when I got there, I realized, okay, I'm not blonde. I'm not blue-eyed. I don't look like James Dean or Marilyn Monroe or anything like that. So what the fuck am I doing here? You know, and then I, I would go out on auditions and I would get handed sides to read and I'm like okay these words are stupid can I just make my own words up and say what I want and, they're, and the casting director's like uh, no just read the lines on the script <laughs> I'm like yeah but see I would never say this and I would argue with them and they're like thank you very much we'll call you if we have something for you you know and I got that a lot because I thought I would why can't I just be me that's not acting that's just no, being myself so that's when I realized I don't want to be an actor because I want to write and make the words up myself. Right, right. Yeah. The seed of Eyes of the World was this gentleman's eyes. You met this guy and you were like, man, those eyes are the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen. And they still are. And um, that plants the seed of yeah. an idea yeah. that you could do a like, 40s style, black and white. 1920s style. 20s, okay. Yes. Um, I met this actor who's really, he's a cop in Long Island during the day and then he does musical theater and Shakespeare the rest of the time and I think I mean, where are you going to find another combination like that um, no I was stage managing this awful musical um, the only reason why I stuck it in it because it was going to uh, perform at Carnegie Hall 
make a nice credit on my resume. Ooh, I was a stage manager for a show at Carnegie Hall. Anyway, um, what among the cast was this small guy with this jet black hair and these jet black eyes. And our eyes is, he was part of the ensemble and I'm here and he's way over there. And um, our eyes locked. And we just kept staring at each other. And then during during breaks, I'd go up and talk to him. And, you know, he's so little, you, you think he's going to talk like this or something like that. But he has this really deep voice, and he talks like that. And I'm like, he sounds, he talks like he's eight foot tall, but he's not. And it just kind of, he had this look about him like he was Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton or some of those famous actors from the 20s. And it just, he just had that look about him, and that's what put the seed in my head. Who is the famous, you know, like Brad Pitt guy from the silent film era? Um, oh, Rudolph Valentino. Rudolph Valentino. Yeah, he reminded me of all that. Yeah, the eyes. The eyes, you know, that just very sensual, yeah. very expressive. And so I started, it started with me writing a poem that I wrote to him after we wrapped the show at Carnegie Hall. I was still thinking about his eyes. And he probably thought I was coming on to him, and I really wasn't. He was just my muse. And I wrote a poem about his eyes. You know, nothing sexy or anything. Okay. I just wrote a poem, gave it to him. He was very flattered. And from there, I started typing and making a script, which we now know is The Eyes of the World. Right. And, um, and, of course, I love old movies anyway, so it was no question of having it be during, you know, the silent era. And, I mean, there's talking in it, but, you know, my favorite part of the whole movie is the silent movie scenes. Because that's when I really felt I was a director. Because that's how they really directed films back then. You'd be standing behind the camera and talking to the actresses, telling them to do, like, okay, walk into the room, grab her out of the chair, you kiss, you argue, and now walk out the room. And that's what I was doing with the actors, and they're just acting out everything I'm saying. And I loved that. That was when I knew... I like doing this. Alright. And do you like the post production? I do, because right. it's like now the magic happens. Right. Now we gotta piece all this together and make it look like something. And I you know, yeah. Your cameo in the eyes of the world is a photograph on the yes. wall, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um then the next one is Double A. Double A. I know it's not a battery commercial. Um <laughs> It's about two... I know with this... And actually, the actors in this, I met in the same musical at Carnegie Hall. And these two gorgeous, and I mean gorgeous Greek actors... Um, God, why can they be gay? They're just so gorgeous. But anyway... Um, You're married anyway. I'm married, but no. These very talented actors were in uh, the same musical. And they're in real life, they're the best of friends. And my partner and I, we've seen these two actors and a lot of, they do a lot of Greek theater. We don't know what the hell they're saying because it's in Greek, but whatever. Um, and so I said, I want to write something for them, um, but they can't stand each other. Because in real life, they're friends. I said, I think it'd be fun to see these two fight. And so, because I love writing things about conflict and witty dialogue and, you know, like insults and stuff that's the kind of I don't care about musicals and all that I'm not into that but um, 
I know I'm probably gonna lose my gay card because I'm not. I still have never seen the sound of music. Okay. What? But, <laughs> that's a, that's for another interview. What about funny lady, funny girl? Never seen it. What? Um, I like the Wizard of Oz. I like singing in the rain. That's about as far as it gets. But anyway, um, but no, I West wrote. Side Story. I like the original. Did don't, you see the new one? No, don't really need to. You know, it's, that's just. I like melodramas. I like Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and Humphrey Bogart and Jimmy Cagney and stuff like that. So, um, but anyway, no, I wrote this uh, film for these two Greek actors to play rival actors, and they're up for the same frickin' role again. And so they meet up at an audition, and the gloves come off, you know, and they just kind of, all this old resentment comes out, and that's basically the whole premise of, I don't have a cameo in that. I was just going to ask. No. Should have stuck one in. Um, at that time, it was in the heart of the pandemic. Yes, it was. And we shouldn't have been filming nothing anyway, so I just wanted to just get it done. It was only nine people on the set. Everyone was wearing masks. The actors took theirs off only when they were in front of the cameras. And I just want, you know, it was, a, it was like a nine-hour day. We got it done. Boom. Next. And that was it. So I didn't think about cameos. I just wanted to just get the shit done. You know? Yes. And we did. Yeah. So. And then your third one is Drive. That one, I feel like I couldn't have done the other two. I mean, I, I, I couldn't have done Drive without having done the other two. Because Drive is so far the closest thing to a biopic of yours truly. Because it's just my experiences with some of the most <laughs> colorful New York taxi drivers I have ever experienced. And, um, and I'm still experiencing cab drivers that's just I always seem to get these cab drivers that want to tell me their whole life story or they want to be friends or they want to keep running their mouth when all I want to do is get to 44th and 10th Avenue and shut the fuck up <laughs> don't talk to me I'm like I'm meditating in the back seat I don't want to hear this when I'm in the back seat I want to hear this <laughs> yeah I think you should get in with that I don't want to hear this I want to hear this. This. You know, this is, oh, so what do you do? Oh, where are you? I get these cab drivers. I've had cab drivers try to cruise me and go, so um, I get off in about an hour. And I'm like, oh, well, you can get off alone because I'm, you know, I'm not, I ain't into, I don't want you. Don't want you. You know, but so that's the inspiration for Drive. And so um, the actor who's playing the passenger is basically a, a, an exaggerated version of myself. And then um, I have a cab driver, and it's just basically about a, a cab driver and passenger who share a very bumpy ride. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and it's just all this banter back and forth. And um, I like it because it was very quick. It was my first time filming with a green screen. Yeah. Um, which, How was that? It was a bitch, but... Um, did it work in post? Yes, but it was every, every detail. I'm a detail person anyway, but with the green screen, every frame had to be studied more than 15 minutes or longer 
to make sure that it blended with everything else. And it was like, I spent more time with my DP and my editor with that. You know, I was over at his house like almost every day and we we're just looking at footage after footage after footage after footage. But when it came together, we we're like, yep. That's the And we just, we wrapped that last November and it's already been accepted in one film festival and got a really good review from another festival nice. calling it, saying it. Everybody should see this film. That's great. <laughs> That's really good. I'm like, and they said, this is a New York story. Everybody should see this film. So. And I'm like, wow. Do you have a, a cameo in that one? You do, Yes, right? I do. I have a very good one that I came up with at the last minute. And when I told uh, my DP, this is what I want to do in it, he fell off. He fell off the floor laughing. Yeah. It takes place at night, right? Yeah. We were going to shoot it as a day ride. Which I'm glad we didn't, because it, it it gave it more of an edgier look to have a night ride. Because I've I've taken more night cabs than day cabs anyway. So do you do things with lights mm-hmm. to get the lights mm-hmm. like? In, yeah. I, so it's a, and we had all these different street lights effects and moving lights right, past right, the car. And, right. Right. And then you drop it into the computer and yeah. Bring a city, night yeah. city into that. Yeah, I wanted to give it an arty, edgy look. I didn't want it to look too realistic because that would just be boring to me. I wanted to have an arty, edgy look to it. For instance, the cab and the driver and the passenger are in color, but the rest of the city is in black and white. And I, and people thought, why would you want to do it like that? I said, no, I wanted to give it an arty, edgy look. I didn't want it to just look like just, okay, you're going out there with the camera and shooting the street and... No, I, I didn't want to do it on location because that would have been expensive. Already went way over budget on this film anyway with the freaking green screen effects, but it was worth it because I wanted to have more of it. I wanted to look more like a portrait. You know, the that yellow cab with a black and white backdrop and everything. And when we saw the final, you know, the, the final uh, effect on it, it just looked great. It's like, yeah, that's what I wanted. I wanted to have an arty, edgy look to it. And the fact that it was shot at night. And if you shot the whole thing on a green screen out in Queens, but you don't know that. Now you do. But <laughs> um, but it's supposed to be just a, a ride in Manhattan at night. And so that's how we did it. But yeah, and that was a one-day shoot. And um, again, everybody wanted to be there. Had a great, not just a, not only a great cast, but... A very passionate crew of multi-talented mofos that just wanted to be there. So, yeah. You have a fourth one? I am working up to the big one, as I call it, my my gone with the wind. And that <laughs> one, uh, it's going to take a... It, it's the biggest cast, and um, it's going to take more of a budget. But it's one that I've been working on. You know which one it is, too. It's... Um, Defiantly Fabulous. And Defiantly Fabulous is a gay comedic twist on the classic 1958 Tony Curtis, Sidney Poitier film, The Defiant Ones, where they're two ex-cons, one's white, one black, they're chained together, they escape from jail, they're on the run from the law, and they hate each other for obvious reasons, but they have to help each other because they're shackled together. And I always thought, this will make a really... There's some little gay elements, even in the original, 
1958. And I thought, this would be interesting to do the same story, one white, one black, they're chained together, and they're, they're gorgeous, and they're both gay and they can't stand each other. Because you're expecting all this sexual tension, like, oh, these two hot guys, you know they're going to get it on sooner or later. But no, they really want to slap the shit out of each other, you know, and not in a sexual way. Right, right, right. You know, and so that's, and so I bumped it up to my, one of my favorite decades, the 1970s. So, of course, the black guys would have a big afro and, and the white guy will have long, fair faucet, feathered hair, and, they're ch- and they have hot, muscle bodies, and they're wearing tight-fitting prison uniforms and shackled together and running through the jungle or to the deep south of the 1970s. And um, a lot of kitsch kids, pop culture references, and yeah, so called Defiantly Fabulous. So I hope to get that up and running. I want to do it as a play. Now I want to shoot it as a sitcom like a, almost like we'll shoot it in a black box theater, like a play, but in, and we'll have but we'll shoot it in front of an audience and have like three cameras and just shoot it like a sitcom and everything. That's how I'm looking to do that. Do you want to like after you get a couple episodes, you want to pitch it to Hollywood or do you want to? Well, I mean, I'm not going to make it into it. I just want to shoot it like that. It's going to be just a movie. It's going to be a single. Yeah, just a single. A yeah, no, not a series, but you know, but I but I want to shoot it in sort of a sitcom style. Maybe with even canned audio laughter and everything and all the funny parts like they used to do in the old school sitcoms. Yeah. So, um, but Defiantly Fabulous is going to be the big one. But I was going to do it last year, but I now know that I I, I wouldn't have been ready. Because something that big, that, you know, a cast of 10 people and uh, God knows how many, you know, over a dozen people on crew. It, it, that would have just been too much for me to handle at that time. I have to do these little films first to build up to the big one. So is there a fifth in mind? In I, have, I have some other ideas. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm I'm constantly writing. And um yeah, I do have some other things on the on the back burner. Right. But Defiantly Fabulous or as the in crowd calls it Defab, you know, that's I want that to be my the next the next big mother. <laughs> As you're in your 50s, you have any thoughts like of the autumn of your years? What am I, a tree? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Should I break out in a song or something or what? <laughs> your bark. <laughs> um, I love my 50s. Yeah. It's like, hello, y'all. I'm 55. I look damn freaking good. Okay. You know, thank you. Um, I mean, I've said this before a bazillion times. You know, when we were kids back in the 1970s, 50-year-old looked like Archie Bunker. Do I look like Archie Bunker to you? I don't even look like Edith. You got his attitude. <laughs> no, I'm more like B. Arthur from Maud, okay? But no. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like they looked so old, and they were only, you know... Actually, Carol O'Connor was 49 when he played Archie Bunker, but he looked older than that. I just had this flash. Thad could be Maude's husband and you could be Maude. Oh, yeah. That works. Even though people, they, uh, my partner and I, we've been, they they compared us to sort of a gay version of Green Acres. 
because he's Eddie Albert and I'm definitely okay. Ava Gabor, the glamorous no, one. No, no. <laughs> so, because yeah. darling, I love you, but give me Park Avenue. That's yeah, me. Yeah, but you more mud. You need yeah. more mud's edge, you know. She didn't have that edge. <laughs> yeah, but because she was sort of she was glamorous, but she well, was kind of ditzy. Too soft, yeah. 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 But no, I de- yeah, we would definitely be Maude and Walter. Walter, <laughs> Walt, not Walter, but Walter. I so, like it. But no, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, we're, or sometimes they say I'm Samantha and he's Darren because I am a witch or something that rhymes with witch sometimes. We'll but, leave it at that. Yeah. I'll twitch my nose. Mm, <laughs> you, know. you need a little blonde head girl running around. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Anything else? Uh, what time is dinner? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, Your hair is looking just... On point as always. Well, your whole thing's on point. Well, thank you. I try at fifty-five. You know, I gotta keep it all together. I think you always have. Oh, I love you too.